Whew. That is a great gift, John. And guys, thank you. That's a, a great gift for me personally to be able to worship in preparation to teaching. Um, that's a, uh, those of you who are in positions of leadership, you know what a huge gift it is to have people who take care of things and you don't even have to think about it. You can just engage in it. And, and that's certainly worship um, uh, with this team. So again, thank you. I, uh, <clears throat> another, I, I also want to reference... So one, when, when I, you'll, you'll, you'll notice this more and more often, I'm sure, but um, I, I see the Sunday morning worship time as not only just a sacred time to worship um, and to study and to learn and, and to develop and to grow, um, I also see it as kind of a family meeting as well. And so you'll see that as, as I feel comfortable just kind of sharing stuff. And so um, I, I want to encourage you, one, uh, one of those areas of ministry that that start that was started long before I got here but the Wednesday night time where we we have a meal from 5:30 to 6:30 and um, when I came uh, to the church about 5 years ago the no, Karen Nolan was in charge of it and uh, and she would tell you like my first meeting with her I said you guys if this grows like we won't be able to do this much longer there's just no way like it's just, it feeds, just just logistically it's not feasible it's not possible and uh, and she um, rightly disagreed with me and so then she ran it for another little while and then at some point now your Carswell took over, and I told them the same thing. I was like, listen, at any moment, I know that this cannot be done. When you're serving 300, 400 meals on Wednesday night with a warming kitchen, there's only so far you can go with that, and that's where we are now. Um, for those of you who don't come on Wednesday nights, we literally now, there's significantly more people here on Wednesday nights than five years ago was here on Sunday mornings. And, uh, and, and we're feeding all of them. And so, um, and so for the last, um, last year or so, um, Christy Norman has been heading that up, and, uh, and it has gone extremely well, as those of you who are involved know that. Um, but, but you may have noticed that Christy, in addition to her teenagers, now also has a, a baby who is quickly becoming a toddler, and Levi is one of those children who's in motion. And uh, in fact, he was in motion this morning. I mean, he's, he had that hand wave dancing thing going on during the service, which is awesome. Levi, right? Okay, boy, I'm so, I'm so bad with names, I get scared of myself. Um, so, uh, um, so, so we need someone at this semester to step in and work along. And she's also starting a new business uh, downtown, like a handmade business. And so uh, if, if you are someone who would say, God may be leading me to help lead. There's an awesome team of workers, but they're going to need someone to help lead um, that Wednesday night time. If you think God might lay that on your heart, you need to go find Christy immediately. Wave so they'll all know who you are. And she will work alongside you and help and get you up to speed so that by next fall, you can be um, leading that, helping lead that ministry as well. So whoever it is, um, I, have, I am confident that God is speaking to your heart right now. And, uh, and so you need, you're going to have to obey him and come and talk to Christy. So, um, okay, so that being said, we also, also wanted to comment on, um, a, a few weeks ago we had, for those of you who are here, we had a vote and hopefully it'll be um, for a while, at least one of our, our last times to vote on a Sunday morning. And, and, um, but it was obviously a very important one. We voted on things like bylaws and deacons and, and me as a lead pastor and stuff like that. Well, it, it, it was not a 100% vote. And so it struck me that I need to make sure that all of you know, if you are someone who voted no, I mean, heck, if you're someone who voted yes on any one of those things and you have uh, like something going on in your heart or in your mind that you think a concern that you have, just know you're you're welcome to schedule a time to sit and talk about that. Like that's a 
It doesn't have to be like you vote no and then that you're done because, you know, you didn't win or whatever that is. That's not how that works. So just know you are welcome to schedule that at any point with anyone in our leadership team or me personally or whatever. Just, just, I just want you to know that that is there as well. Um, no one's going to hunt you down. Obviously, we don't even know from that last vote who voted what, but, but no one's going to hunt you down or contact you. But if you, would, if you want to um, do that, you are welcome to do that um, at any point. Um, okay, a couple other things. One, I want to encourage you, if you're one of those people who does not have a Bible handy or you don't take notes um, during the sermon or during your life group or whatever that is, I'm going to encourage, that you, encourage you to do that um, for a couple of reasons. One, have a Bible handy is always good. It, one, it's always good to check me because um, I, if I pulled a fast one on you and you know, quoted a verse about you know, redheads being near to God or something like that, you, you need to know that that's not what it says. Um, and so you need to be able to jump on that, and, and you're like, hey, wait a minute, that's the wrong. And so um, that's, that's one. That's totally appropriate in Christianity, by the way. We, we trust Scripture only. Um, and so to the degree that, that it is interpreted correctly or discussed correctly up here, it's valuable. But, um, so that's one. You, you want to be able to take notes. It allows you to engage. It allows you to go back and remember, um, all that kind of stuff. That's all good. But honestly, one major one is you never know when God is going to call you to teach. Um, you might think, well, that's, I know he's not going to call me to teach. Everyone thinks that until he does. And so you need to be prepared. Let me encourage you. When, when I was 19 and with almost no notice, uh, my Baptist student ministry director, when I sat down with him on a bus coming from a retreat, and I said, you know, I really think God might someday um, call me to do youth ministry. And he was like, you can start Sunday. I was like, wait, what? I'm 19. He's like, right. And there's a church, First Baptist in Crockett, Texas, wants someone Sunday. So you think you could be there Sunday? I mean, no interview, no nothing. It was just show up Sunday morning, and you're now the youth pastor. And so that's what I did. I had a kid in the youth group who was 19, by the way. Same age. I, that's when I grew facial hair, so you could tell me from the kids. Um, and I had no idea what I was doing, no clue. Thank God I had been, and I mean that literally, thank God as a prayer, that I had been encouraged by my pastor to take notes. And for the last about two years, I had notes from the sermons. And you better believe those youth got pretty much identically those sermons for the first couple of years coming from me. So um, I will encourage you to be taking notes for a lot of different reasons. Um, and to have a Bible handy, whether it's on your phone or whatever. You can flip or you can scroll or whatever it is that you want to do to the passages we're looking at. I encourage it. And finally, um, I want to let you know we start on next Sunday, we are starting a capital campaign. Now, if you've been in church very long, um, for you, the phrase capital campaign may be filed alongside root canal. That may be something that you just, you don't look forward to, it's not exciting to you, um, that kind of thing. It should be probably exciting to us. I mean, when you think about what it actually means, it means something extraordinary is happening. Um, so that in addition to um, all the ministry resources that we bring together of people and finances and that kind of stuff, we're saying, wow, there needs to be, we, we need to, we got something special we need to do. In our case, and most of you are very aware of this, um, we, we're, we need to solve an issue of having space wherein we can educate and train up children to be the next generation of believers and leaders in the kingdom um, in America and, and around the world. And so we, we need that. I mean, we're quickly running out of space there. The, the architects who we've talked to, when they run the numbers, th there is a very definite point at which all of the, the numbers of children versus the number of square footage of rooms turns red. Um, and it's not far away from here. And so we need to be getting on that for sure, and that's something that we extraordinarily get to do. However, 
For some of you, you're probably wired more like me, that you would say, listen, just, just tell me the need, let me know how to give, and I'll do it. I, I, don't, I don't need a campaign, I don't need meetings, um, I don't need blues, blueprints, I, whatever, that it, maybe whatever, it, maybe you're wired more like that. In which case, let me just comfort you, good, th- then those things aren't for you. Um, if, if you don't need to go to a single meeting, you don't need to go to a single dinner, you don't need to have a single conversation, you know, listen, I know this is a need, you've made it known, and I'll be um, responding. Good, good, excellent. However, you need to be aware, just like I need to be aware, that there are people in the church who do want and even need that. Before they're able to engage or invest, they need to engage in some of that kind of stuff. I fully understand that as well. And so it goes back to that preference conversation that we have regularly. Anyone can worship, but you can only worship in community in community. And so, you know, this, we, don't, we don't all turn in our songs and, we all, and, and then whichever song gets the most votes is the one that John leads us in on Sunday morning. He leads us. And so we are in community. Our preferences aren't the top of the priority list, if that makes sense. Well, that's going to be true here too. So if this is something, if you say, you know what, I, I, don't, I don't like the idea that only the people who can give a certain number of zeros that they get a meeting. Well, don't worry about that. If, if you want to invest in your time, or money, or in any way in this capital campaign, and but you want to sit and meet with somebody who's a leader in it, we will make that happen, every single person. Um, it doesn't matter. The, the amount is never impressive to God. So we're not, we're not concerned with that when it comes to these conversations. So if at any point you say, you know what, I think I want to invest more time, or more money, or more whatever. So the capital campaign will start next week. The way, one of the ways it kicks off, this is the, the uh, view of it, whatever. The, and so uh, the logo for it. And so we will be starting that next week more in detail. I'm going to teach through for four weeks the parables of Jesus Christ and how those relate to what it is that we're talking about um, and why it's significant for us as a church to follow the teachings of Jesus Christ and that this could be applied. None of this is a gimmick. I don't like gimmicks. They creep me out. I get grossed out by it. And so um, how we engage with this is going to be uh, hopefully the way we do everything, authentically and just real and, and engaging with it. So whatever, whatever part of this you want to be a part of, you engage. If you want to, next week, you can come. There will be, as of at 1030, when the first service is over, you can actually, if you come to the first service, you can head straight out that door and um, check this out. So Nair um, Carswell is, is quite a cook, if you didn't know this already. And so she, um, her, her chili recipe is so good that Traditions, who is making our chili for us, 60 gallons of chili next week, um, you're not responsible to consume all of that, just, just a little bit yourself. But the, we will be having a chili lunch out here, and you're welcome to, at any time from 10.30 until 12.30 or whatever, be a part of that. But Traditions is using Nair's recipe to make our 60 gallons of chili. And so hopefully you will stay. And Kevin this morning said, and by the way, bring your own plasticware, Tupperware, whatever, in case there's any left over, um, so that you can take home some with you. So... I think you will want to do that. He's not kidding. Bring your own, like, whatever you're going to put in the fridge with. Okay, good. I, I, I sense that you're dubious. I'm telling you, bring it. You want, you're going to, okay, so everybody can do that. That will be your lunch next Sunday. If you want that, everyone is invited um, to be a part of that as well. Um, I think that kind of covers that, that part of this, but I want to make sure you all knew about that. All right, so um, as we look, continue to look at the concept, the mission statement that we have here, that we would live, teach, and tell the gospel, that all may know the living God, 
All of this wraps in together. We talked about living and teaching a couple of weeks ago. Last week, Paul um, led us in a conversation on telling. And then today, we're, we're going to em emphasize the words, the gospel. So to talk about the gospel, and this, this talk, there's no way I fit this talk in with what's left of the time. It'll transition over into next week as well. Um, but we will continue to be talking about the gospel for a couple of weeks. But we want to get started there. A life of the gospel, to live the gospel is a living a life of generosity and grace. So we have two words that go with each of them. In this case, the gospel is a life of generosity and grace. Um, we look to God because He is a God of generosity and grace. He, he gives, and He gives opulently. He gives over the top. He gives the best. He gives good stuff. And he's, His first great gift is certainly His life, um, that each of us, creation and life, and then His um, most powerful gift, maybe the greatest gift, I think we would say the best gift is eternal life through Jesus Christ, His Son. Um, however, we have this nasty habit of adding to the gospel, of transitioning the gospel into something we're more comfortable with. Um, this, uh, the idea that, that Jesus Christ has taken care of this, that He has completed this work, that it is finished, that we can't earn it, we can't make it happen. Um, what Paul says to the um, Galatians, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Some people had come in after Paul. He had taught them the gospel. They'd come in after Paul, and they had started saying, like, well, that whole grace thing, that's all great, but, but now you need to become a Jew. You need to start following Jewish law. Like, there's certain behaviors and rules and guidelines you need to be doing or you're not really following Jesus. Paul is straight up infuriated by this and, and brings them to task in the book of Galatians and the letter of Galatians that all, the, all those letters are, are letters to people in a certain town. This is a letter to the church in Galatia, and he's not pleased. It's impressive how quickly and chronically we find other gospels. I want us to stop and consider for a second. What is it that we don't like about the gospel that we have? Why are we always trying to turn it into something else? Why are we trying to make it behavioral, legalistic, something that we can merit, or something we can, like, what, what is it about this gospel that we find so offensive? What do you think? Okay, it comes across as too easy, maybe, right? It's, it's free. The, the, we, we, the problem is we equate free with cheap, which is not at all how things work, right? The best things that we get are free. The most expensive things usually we don't buy for ourselves, somebody buys for us, but it comes across as like it can't be this easy, it, right? It can't be this. That's because we, we equate easy with cheap or free with cheap when the truth is it's a radically expensive gift. It's so expensive, none of us, it's so expensive, all of us combined could not have afforded it um, for even one of us. And so someone else had to pay for it. They paid a massive price. And so, but it's like, really? That's all I got to do is accept it as a free gift? Good. What else? What else do we not like about it? What are we offended about? It doesn't fit the way we understand. Right. It fits his nature, not our nature, right? We aren't that generous, right? We, we give and we have strings attached. It's like, no, no, no. You don't. I mean, yeah, you get that, but I mean, come on. Then there's somehow there's got to be some bounce back here. There's got to be some, something's got to come back to me in regards to this. Or it's, that's not, it's, we're not in control. As someone up here, it's, we're not in control. And we don't, 
We don't get to run the show. The, the, the light doesn't come on us. Yeah. Okay, it calls us sinners. It's offensive. How dare you, right? We have to admit we need a Savior in order to accept a Savior. Well, I'm, most of us think we're pretty good on our own, right? It's, I mean, it's delusional, but we think that. We think, hey, I'm doing pretty good, right? It's why pride is the sin that's easy to confess. Because, I mean, if you were me, you'd struggle with pride too. You know what I'm saying? Right? So you can see why that'd be tough for me. You can understand that. It's, we don't, I, I used to teach, when there was a Renaissance Fair in White House, I used to go out there on Sunday mornings and do a church service for them. And, uh, boy, that was a mixed bag, I'll tell you. There's some fascinating people who would show up for church service on Sunday mornings. As long as I brought coffee and donuts, they would show up. But it was a, um, it was a unique crowd. Well, one, one week, the lady with the harp who would come, because that's the only musical instrument they had out there were harps. And so she said, I'll lead, I'll lead y'all in a hymn this morning if anybody wants to. And everybody agreed, like, that'd be fun. And everyone agrees, of course, on the hymn, Amazing Grace. And so we say, we're going to do Amazing Grace. And she goes, I don't sing that song. I was like, wow. I mean, people get offended by all kinds of things, but Amazing Grace? She goes, I'm no wretch. See how offensive? How offensive the gospel is? It starts with the assumption that you and I are wretched. That what we're bringing as a gift is worse than bringing nothing. Literally, if we brought nothing, it would be preferable to what we bring. And yet he says, I will accept that as righteousness. That's a, it's an amazing picture. Yeah, it's offensive to us. And rightfully so. It is offensive to us. We're presented as sheep. And not just any sheep, lost sheep. Sheep are dumb. And the sheep that wander away are the dumbest. And that's us. It's impressive how quickly we do this. We confuse the application of salvation with the means of salvation. As long as we don't drink, dance, chew, or date girls who do, we're, we're, that'll get us saved somehow, right? As long as, we don't, as long as we don't do bad stuff, somehow that's going to save us, as if that's how that worked. We think that because someone... Is financially successful, they must be saved, we think, because of, we, we, we make these mistakes constantly. And I want you to hear, if you have ever, in as clear a conscience as we as a race can manufacture, which is not much, but if you've ever in clear conscience accepted the freely, the free gift of the grace of Jesus Christ, then you're saved. Jesus Christ has stamped you with the seal of his Holy Spirit. That's the gospel. And nothing else is and anything we add to that gospel only detracts from it. That's not how it works. He is raised from the dead for you and for me. That is the gospel. Jesus Christ is the gospel. The gospel is Jesus Christ, the person who did all this stuff. We can have confidence in no other good news, not to save us. We can't fix this with our own merit it is amazing to me how many versions of Christianity slide and slip back into this idea of merit. They slip back into this idea of works. Well, yeah, God did an important part of it, but then I've got to do the rest. Oh, yeah, God, God took care of this part of it. I, I get that, but now I've got to maintain that. I've got to somehow hold on to that. I've got to be the one who grits that out the rest of my life. It still ends up being about us. We are the one in the spotlight. And we never are when it comes to the gospel. It's never, the spotlight will never shine on us. And yes, that's offensive. Now, 
what we then get to do is we can join in. Listen, listen to how Paul continues. Even if we or an angel from heaven would preach a different gospel to you, contrary to the one we preached, let him be accursed. We've said it before, and I'm saying it again. In other words, get this through your heads. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel than the one you received, let him be accursed. If it's different than the one that I gave you, Paul says, they're cursed. Four, I am, now, am I now seeking the approval of men or God? Am I trying to please man? If I were trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ, for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached to me is no man's gospel. It isn't. Like we said, it's not our nature to create a gospel like this. That's not in man's nature. Um, I, I teach every couple of years, every few years, I teach through a series on the world religions. That is what sets Christianity, the teachings of Jesus Christ at least, the, the teachings of Jesus Christ apart from all the other world religions. It is grace. It is that it is a gift. And grace is not redefined in a new way just to make it works again. And it's amazing how often that happens. That you sit down with someone, they show up at your house, and you talk with them about it, and they tell you, oh no, we believe in grace. And you say, okay, well tell me about then grace, tell me about the grace of the afterlife. And they start describing a graduated afterlife all the way from the top to the bottom and how you live determines where you hit along this. And you, and you go, then that's not grace. My friend, it's not. You've just defined grace as merit. And you can't define, that's the opposite of one another. It's a free gift, you just have to do some work for it. Right. That's like free shipping and handling only. Right? <laughs> I had to tell my kids over and over again, that means it's not free. That's what that means. It doesn't cost $40 to ship that, I promise. It's free except for the part that you pay. Um, there are no magic words. It is a condition of the heart as we relate, in a rela and relationships are messy because we're humans. The relationship we have, we would love for there to be a check these list, um, follow these pillars, do these five things, follow these 10 circles, whatever it is, and we would love for there to be an easy organization to it, but the truth is it's messy, it's a relationship, it is about placing our confidence in the person of Jesus Christ to save us, knowing we cannot do it, and neither can anybody else. If uh, Under those understanding, and you call on the, upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. It's a done deal. As Jesus said from the cross, it is finished. There's no more work to be done except to believe, and that's not work. Paul says to the Romans, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, the Jew first and the Greek. The gospel of Christ is the only real one. Only it has his power attached to it. Understand, having faith won't save you. How many of you have ever placed your faith in something or someone who failed you? Everybody. Probably yourself first. Instead, to recognize it is what we place our faith in, it is who we place our faith in that saves us. Jesus can save us, and he promises to do so. Notice the, the pieces. The gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. This is the truth of the good news. It is what brings us hope when we have no other thing to hope in. And you will have times in your life when you have nothing else to hope in. The reason that's okay is because we have him to hope in. Everything else is promised to fail us, guaranteed to fail us. He doesn't fail, even when we think he does. One of my little mantras from sermons is this, God will continually disappoint you. He just won't ever fail you. 
Our disappointment is about us. Of course we're disappointed all the time. He doesn't fail. We are just disappointed. That's how that works. God's power, only He saves. You and I lack the power to save ourselves or anyone else. And belief, the faith, the trust, the reliance in His gospel and on His power. Now, once we are saved, of course there's supposed to be a difference in our lives. As Paul says to the Philippians, to the church in Philippi, another one of his letters, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So it should be lived out. Our life should look like we are saved. It should look like we know the gospel. Um, I'll keep going. So that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit. By the way, if you didn't know this already, I mentioned a second ago, these are just letters. They are letters to the Apostle Paul to the Christians in a certain town. Doesn't it read? That, that reads like a letter. Whether I come to see you or I'm absent. That's what he's saying. I hope to come visit you guys, but I may not get to. Regardless, so understand these as letters and they'll make a whole lot more sense to you. Um, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit and one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Boy, that, that phrase, that, this would be another one of those great like church, um, like a, a billboard sign in front of every church that we remember every time. This is what it's supposed to look like. Standing firm in the spirit, one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. We, that is why we can disagree about all kinds of stuff. You may or may not like the carpet, or you may or may not like the chairs, or the whatever it is. That's totally fine. What matter, We're not required to strive side by side as far as when it comes to the carpet color. But we are required by the gospel to strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. We are always unified in this. Always not frightened of anything by, from our opponents. It is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. Do we model this? Do people see this? I am convinced that this is going, this, what I'm about to tell you is only going to become more so over the next generations. It has proven true of the last generation and is proving true of this generation. Lukewarm families are losing their children from the gospel. Now, it doesn't mean that they, if they put their faith in Christ, they're sealed. That's done. But they are losing faith as far as being servants in the gospel. If our children don't see us being transformed by the power of the gospel, if they don't see our character flaws being worn away by the power of his gospel, if they don't see us growing in our faith, sacrificing of all aspects of our life, if they don't see that in us, then maybe, rightfully so, they are leaving the faith of their fathers. Now, hopefully, they will rediscover the truth of Jesus Christ at some point. But, but that is something we, we have got to be living out. We are seeing it. I'm telling you, we see it at the counseling office. We see it here at the church of, of a now a, whole, a generation of, of us um, who maybe your parents claim that, man, they looked good at church, but the way they lived out their life at home was anything but a life worthy of the gospel, and it is now an act of will for you to come back rather than a natural progression of what God did in their lives. Let's make sure we don't make that same mistake that God is seeing in our lives that transformation. That we mess up and we make huge mistakes and we have bad weeks and we sometimes lose our temper and we get frustrated and whatever, but they see the gospel working in our lives so that we are quick to seek forgiveness. And the same thing with our friends, our neighbors, that gospel lived out is what makes the difference.
That's, being, that's what Im, Im, impresses people. It's not just our words, but the gospel lived out. Do our coworkers see this? Do those who work with us see this? Do those who minister alongside us, especially in our homes? The message for our children should come from our lives, that our children see that we willingly pour out of every resource that God has given us to the furtherance of his gospel, from our hearts from the gospel. And then we tell them is follow us and surpass us. Um, I look forward to the day. Some of my kids scare me that they're going to pass me soon. I'm, I'm like a little, a, little, a little scared that they're going to be my disciple maker soon. Um, isn't that the goal, though? Shouldn't that be the goal of any of us as parents is that there comes a day when we are looking to our children and they are further down the narrow path than we are? That should be an amazing time. But we shouldn't make it so easy on them to surpass us. That should be a hard thing. That should be a challenge for them. Oh, so I get, some, I get to ex- explain this in an exciting way right now. So, um, all of us start individually, each church, each ministry starts as nothing but rock. Um, that is our heart. Um, our hearts are hearts of stone. Um, our lives are, are flinty. It doesn't just mean angry or edgy. It, it, it can mean helpless and hopeless. It can mean cold and scared. It can all of that kind of stuff. I don't know where you were before you met Christ. I don't know where you are if you haven't met him yet. But that's the, the heart is a heart of stone. What's inside of us feels that way. And we, we, it's, it's kind of like the desperate needs. When we look at the people who were in the desert with Moses. Um, so this is God speaking to the children of Israel through Moses. Behold, I will stand before you there at the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. Now, here's what's interesting. God doesn't do this. God's, God's not excited about where the Hebrew people are right now. They're whining and complaining. Um, once again, they've run out of some resource, and they have totally forgotten that God has taken care of them, um, kind of like we do all the time, is that we absolutely forget that all the time, is that God is, is watching out for us. Um, after the first sermon, Doug Foreman shared with me about his daughter who who was recently had a, a change in her ministry, and, and it, it was looking like she was kind of stuck and wasn't going to, and then, and then so she prayed, and a few days later she gets word of a, that God has provided in ways that surpass anything she would have even hoped of, known to even ask for, and to take her back to Romania to take care of, of orphans there. And so th- there's a sense in which we, we, God has got us even when we are in despair or concerned or even when we're whining. Um, so the people, the people were whining. Moses did so, and in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah. This, this, would, this sounds cute, like he calls it Massa and Meribah, except for you to know that Horeb means desolate was where they were. Massa means to test, and Meribah means to squabble. This, he named these places after the, the, Israeli, the, the Hebrew people's misbehavior. He names it after them, and yet God provides rock Water from the rock. They asked the Lord, is the Lord among us or not? That's what they asked. Can we trust him? It doesn't seem like we can. I mean, yeah, sure, the ten plagues of Egypt. Yeah, sure, he parted the Red Sea or the Sea of Reeds or whatever it was. Oh, yeah, sure, he shows up every day as a a pillar of, of smoke and every night as a pillar of fire. But what's he done lately? Right, that's us. How's he going to take care of this thing? I don't, I don't see it. He took care of that stuff, but I don't think he can take care of this. And yet, he does. And at some point, God, through God's power, the water enters us. 
something changes inside of us. And something, there, there's a change inside. And all of a sudden, a spring begins to well up inside of us. Something changes. There's a, a new thing. We reference this. Only he can, in the song, only he can change the leper's spots and melt the heart of stone. Um, and Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, is citing this Old Testament experience. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. It springs forth. Do you not perceive it? This is God speaking to the prophet Isaiah. I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. So he's clearly referencing what happened at Meribah, but he's saying, I will do it. So not only is he referencing what happened, but he's saying, I'm going to do it in a new way, in, in a, even a bigger way, a better way. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I form for myself, that they might declare my praise. God has promised, he has redeemed, and he is redeeming his people, and he's going to redeem his people. That's going to happen. Um, many ideas came together, and one of the common themes um, from, from all over the place, uh, and we got ideas from all over the place as people were talking about logos, when people talked about um, uh, the, the different things they threw out, and one of the real common ones was the idea of a stream, was water, and water not just still, but in motion. So we got, we got um, uh, Larry Dean and a few people collaborated, and they turned stuff in, and, and a bunch of children, a lot of our children turned in different pictures, and and even the professionals, and they all kind of same, came to the same conclusion. This is an important thing. And for the Hebrew people, water that is still is just in danger of being stagnant. So still, still water is, is not living water in Israel. Those of you who are going to go in a few months, we, we will look at that difference between still water and, and living water. It's the movement of the water that mattered. Jesus is the fulfillment also to the prophecy in Isaiah. God is doing things in a new way. He was going to provide even in the desert, even in the desolation, even amidst the contention and the struggle. Then when Jesus was here, he met a woman in a situation just like this, the woman who we know as the woman at the well. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Go back one Back one more so we can see the process. So the water in us, something changing in us, and then becoming a spring that overflows into the lives of those around us, into the community around us. The spring is flowing. Other people finding refreshment in what God is doing. We can be filled and become a provision for others. Something else that, that if you didn't get to hear this story, you need to hear it. Um, jump to the map, if you will. Um, is that we discovered as we were going through this process, learning about our church, after we had named South Spring, after we had chosen that name, or at least we thought we chose it, this name for our church, we discovered just days before our last um, voting time, um, someone pointed out to us something that we didn't know, which was, so this is, this is downtown in the 1850s. By the way, there's Broadway. It ends in a building after one block. Okay, that's it. In the 1850s. By the way, the, I'm assuming they know this, but this right here was a foundry. I'm guessing that's how Bethel chose the name to their coffee shop. I, if not, I need to let them know. But um, that they call the foundry. I'm assuming it's because it was a foundry in the 1850s. So one of the reasons that the foundry was put there where you smelt metal and that kind of stuff is because there was a spring right here that flowed down this street. The Baptist church at the time, all eight members met at the public square, met in the courthouse, the dirt floor courthouse. 
And then they, at some point, they built a church over here. They started building a church over here, but it burned down. So I'm talking about this courthouse. The church was over here, and it burned down before they could move into it. So they moved back to the courthouse, and they met either at the courthouse or at the Methodist church. And the courthouse and the Methodist church had something in common. Neither one of them had a baptismal. Um, and so the church would literally gather and walk down here to this spring in order to baptize people in the spring downtown. That's why this street is called, to this day, South Spring Street, South Spring Avenue, actually, because the South Spring is where the church was baptizing people for somewhere between the first 20 and 50 years of its existence. One of the things we read said that out of tradition, even once they built a church and had a baptismal, they would still walk all the way over here to baptize out of tradition for the fact that's where they'd been doing it. Unknowingly, we named our church South Spring not knowing that part of our legacy was baptisms in the South Spring. By the way, those of you who work downtown, these, these buildings all flood in the basement because there's still a spring down there running. I was going to try to figure out if there's a way to break through somewhere. We ought to buy one of those buildings and break through and get a baptismal there or something. That would be pretty, be pretty cool. Anyway, notice the, go, go back to the logo. Actually, go one more. Sorry, go one more. So this... You're, you're, this is the logo for, for South Spring Baptist Church. The stones that become water, that then become a spring flowing into the community. That works at the individual level as our hearts of stone are changed and then we come, every member becomes a minister as we live and teach and tell the gospel that all may know the living God from whom proceeds the living water. It is His provision. Um, and by the way, we had some discussions, quite a few discussions, but in the end, the decision to go with a script which I do have to comment, by the way, as we were looking at all the different scripts, um, and there were some really good ones. And then I think John, John was like looking at one, he was like, well, this one looks good. And we all looked at it, we we're like, that's cool. And he goes, well, it's M Mighty River. Yeah, Mighty River was the name of the font. We're like, well, may maybe we should go with that then. Like, <laughs> that feels like another one of those little leadership things. So um, knowing this is, this is the ministry that we are meant to represent this is the ministry of the gospel in us, that it has so filled us that it overflows. Um, week after week, we're going to continue to be praying as long as we have people to pray for who are going to minister in a new place and in a new way. In a minute, we'll be praying for the Evelyns who are going to Guatemala. That their life has filled up, the spring of the gospel has filled up in them, and, they, and it now overflows. So they have to go to, they're going to another country to let it overflow there. All of us, this is how it's supposed to live. It lives out in us. The gospel welling up inside of us, literally, spiritually, and then overflowing into the lives of those around us. Does our life, do our lives exhibit a living, overflowing, bubbling spring? Are people refreshed? We were dead in our trespasses and sins, and God, but God, in His mercy, has saved us by His good grace. That is what we celebrate. So whatever it is, however you need to respond, if you've never, and I'll continue on through this conversation of the gospel next week, but however you need to respond to this, if you've, if you've determined that this is where you want to live out church and this sounds like a good way to live church, excellent. Um, you can be praying and come and join with us if you've already talked with somebody and we know you a little bit and you know us, we'd love to do that. If you did not know that this gospel, this good news was free as a gift, all you have to do is say, uh, yes, please. And pray that prayer, and He will save you. He will give you that free gift. And then we'd love for you to come and pray with us, or with someone else in the room who you know is a follower of Jesus. 
So however you would respond, let's pray, and then however the Spirit would lead you, please respond. Father, um, we lay before you our whole lives. You have invited us like you did with the apostles, like you did with so many others. You walk amongst us and say, follow me. So Lord, my prayer is for any who, has no, who are not following you yet or have stopped following you. The spring has become stagnant for them. I pray for you to bring back to life a life worthy of the gospel lived out, that we would remember with all the other things we have to worry about, in the end only one thing matters, and that's to sit at the feet of your Son and be so filled that we overflow into other lives around us. May our spouses see the gospel in our lives. May, may my wife see the gospel overflowing in me. May my children see the gospel overflowing in me, and my neighbors, and my friends, and co-workers, and ministers. God, I pray that, that we would live this out, that the hearts of stone have been softened. They've been melted and now overflow. God, I pray that that will be true in our lives through the power of your Son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.